0: Welcome to the Software Misadventures Podcast. We are your hosts, Ronak and Guan. As engineers, we are interested in not just the technologies, but the people and the stories behind them. So on this show, we try to scratch our own edge by sitting down with engineers, founders, and investors to chat about their path, lessons they've learned, and of course,
1: the misadventures along the way. Should engineers and product managers stay in their lanes? What big company habits should you unlearn when transitioning to working at a startup? What habits should you keep? Could an ayahuasca retreat give you more clarity on your career goals? In this episode, we're chatting with Arnab and Ilya, who recently left their roles as Principal Engineer at AWS and Senior Product Manager at Google to bootstrap their startup Metacast.app. There's a lot of people that leave big tech to found startups. But what I loved about this conversation was just how personal it was and how candid they were in sharing their struggles and learnings on that journey. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. So uh, both of you recently started a company, it's called
0: Metacast. Before this, both of you worked at big tech companies. Elia, you were at Amazon at some point, then you were working on Google Maps as a product manager. Arnab, you have been a principal engineer at AWS as well. So can you tell us more about how the two of you met and how did you think about starting Metacast?
2: So Ilya and I worked together at AWS for like five years from 2015 to 2020. I was an SD too when he started and I think the day he started his manager told him to come meet me because we'll be working together on something and we didn't know that Like, we'll keep working together for like, I don't know, eight, 10 years after. But yeah, we we had like really good uh, chemistry kind of immediately. I love that he was in a product manager role. I I love being hands-on, but I love that he loves being (laughs) hands-on too, right? Like, there are some product managers who are really good at their job, but wouldn't get into like the hands-on parts or try not to understand the technology behind it and all that. And Ilya would like immediately come in and you don't have to tell him, you just point him at this is the data warehouse, go figure it out. And after like a week, he'll come up with all this analysis and like, this is what we should be going for next. Right. And so I I really love that aspect. And over time, like we worked together, we built like, we can talk more later on, but almost like a startup inside AWS. Mm -hmm. If you're curious, we can talk about that journey and love that process. So. When I left my job and I was like kind of wandering around, hiking, figuring out what to do, this seemed like, okay, maybe a chapter two of this could be quite exciting. So that's what we went for. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So I'll have to reciprocate now and uh, <laughs> <laughs> praise that praise <our> right?
0: <laughs> oh, we can mute his audio. That's fine. <laughs> Just go free, <frail>, Elia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no,
3: uh, when I joined AWS, my manager gave me a list of people to talk to and, uh, it was maybe a list of five or six people and Arnav's name was one of them and he's like, yeah, meet with this guy like as soon as possible. He's, uh, he's going to be your partner, uh, for many things that you'll be working on. And, uh, I think the thing that I specifically joined to work on was, uh, an analytics platform and, uh, yeah, so Arnap was already working on, uh, the plumbing for that kind of data warehouse, data pipelines uh, and all that stuff. So yeah, I think we met maybe the first day, maybe the second day, but it was definitely the first week. So that was really cool. But um, I think what he said about me, like you know, going into technical stuff, I can say exactly the same thing about him. Like he really likes going into technical stuff, right? (laughs) But
0: uh... (laughs) I'm glad I do (laughs) it as an engineer.
3: But 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 here is the but here is the thing. Uh, Recently, uh, I was watching him for three days as he was giving the crash course to me and our new hire. On uh, Flutter, like I would just copy stuff from Stack Overflow, paste it, see if it works. If it doesn't, like makes some tweaks, make it make it work. He he doesn't do that. He like he wants to understand how things really work. So he would click through, uh, you know, all of those methods, see how they defined all that. Um, like we don't have and, code and use th- GitHub Copilot. Also. And use GitHub Copilot, but yeah, he doesn't just copy paste from there, right? He, um, he he really understands what he's doing. So that's kind of a defining feature of our that's what i really liked working with him uh because of that he would always be um he doesn't just guess he knows and, and that's what distinguishes an then uh, you know an amateur from professional and uh, i always enjoyed uh that and i also see can far enough grow through the ranks from sd2 to principal well i loved it before you became a principal engineer but uh, i definitely saw the trajectory um but the other thing is that he's always deep into the product and this is this is where um, I think we have this nice Venn diagram where I'm on the product side, he's on the engineering side, but there is this thing in the middle where we can keep arguing about for a long time and coming to a solution that really is great both for customers and also from technology perspective. So, yeah, uh, I really appreciate you, Arnab, want to say on the record. <laughs> you, no, you say it enough
2: uh, privately too, so thank you yeah, for <laughs> saying yeah. it publicly now.
3: But also when I also want to add this thing where I found the screenshot in my Apple Photos. I think it was 2017 or 18. Uh, it was a screenshot from this app called Chime, which is the thing that Amazon used to use but internally the shittiest for chats.
2: chat messenger you would ever use.
3: <laughs> yes, built by some of the greatest people uh, on the planet. But yeah, the product wasn't good. And the message says that I think we will do something together at some point maybe like in 5 years or i forgot what the time frame was but it was a time frame when you would you would turn 45 that was the time frame you know we calculated that and yeah and then eventually he called me up i was living still in seattle he moved to vancouver and he called me up and he's like yeah i'm in seattle let's just meet up and then we went for a stroll in kirkland washington along the shore and that's how Metagast was born, I think.
0: or <laughs> yeah.
2: the seeds of it. We didn't know we were yeah, going on a company yet, but
3: yeah. Yeah, both of us were still employed. Um, you, you were still at Amazon. So it was actually about a year before we started coding it.
1: Yeah. But, yeah. Um, we need to really work on our meat cute story, uh, Ronak. This, uh, <laughs> this has really inspired me. Uh, Ronak never says nice things about me. So going back and zooming in on the, so Arna, you said that one of the things that impressed you a lot was Ilya being super technical and just going into the problem. I feel like some engineers like would not have shared the same feelings about product people going into like the technical aspects.
3: So you mean like you're not happy that uh, product managers go into technical parts?
1: Yeah, because I feel like some engineers see it as, hey, you know, this is my lane, right? Like I'm figuring mm-hmm. out the the how, and then you're telling me the what and why. So why don't we, you know, stick to our, you know, I feel like I've gotten that talk before. Um, I was wondering mm-hmm. if, I, I mean, is that something yeah. that you guys have faced before?
3: I feel like this partially has to do with my personality. If you look at, I would say most companies, they want people to stay in their lanes. Right. So engineering stays in their lane, uh, marketing stays in their lane, PM stays in their lane. And then uh, you have some kind of interfaces, Uh, so that these people can interact between the lanes, right? Project managers. And things and things just tend to break because uh, there are always some things that fall through the cracks (laughs) between the lanes that nobody picks up. And my personality has always been that I don't let things slide through the cracks. So I'm naturally just being all over the place. Whichever role I was in, I was always all over the place. Like inserting myself into somebody else's turf, some people would get pissed about that. And uh, that's just... Part of the game. What I really liked about Amazon, though, is that because of this ownership mentality uh, across the board at Amazon, people are fine with that because they know you're not doing this out of you know, ego or spite or something, right? They know you actually want to do things better. And then if you cross over into other function and you actually point out something that helps them, or even helps you better understand what they're doing, so that it helps you do your job better, I think people were generally fine with that if you if I would start to come into our, to Arnab's our desk and telling him that he names his variable <laughs> variables wrong and, or like if you come to designer and tells them that they use, need to use a different color, that's not okay, but like understanding how things work and maybe making some suggestions as in like do we really have to do this now uh can this wait until after uh, and then we can cut the scope a bit and ship the thing faster, for example, that would be one of the uh, contributions I, I would make, and I think generally engineers I worked with were fine with that. But Arna could correct me if I am wrong.
2: I'll add on to this. I think it really comes down to personality types, right? Like I've worked with product managers who did not want to get inside, like trying to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, wanted to operate in the product space, and they were great product managers, right? There, there's like not one shape only for a product manager or an engineer. My personality type, and maybe this is why Ilya and I gel so much together, is I like to be not just in the technology side. Like, I don't want to take requirements from somebody, build it and give it back to them. I actually want to be part of figuring out what to build, right? And similarly, I want the product manager to also come in and overlap into my role and they don't have to build it, but they need to understand why we are building it the way we are building it, right? Right. Because both of those things influence the product. And ultimately, that's what you need is a good product for the end customer. And it's not just... The product is not just the UX side, right? It's also like... I mean, a big part of UX is performance and availability and all that. And you need to have all of those things be integrated as part of a great UX. It's not to say that Ilya and I don't have friction, right? So there are times when I feel like, just trust me on this, right? It'll save us so much time if we don't talk about it for the next three hours, right? And certainly there are probably times when he feels like, okay, just trust my instinct on this and let's go with that, right? But I feel like by talking, well, we don't spend three hours anymore because we're in a startup, we don't have three hours to spend on this, but maybe we spend 45 minutes talking like about a critical decision, right? And at the end of it, we come out on the same page where he understands why I was going for something and I understand why he's going for it. And I think that's huge for a cohesive team, whether you're in a big company or a small company.
3: Yeah, and I would, I would add a couple of things here. So first, I think I've always had a hard time with senior people who swim in their lane. Like if you have a principal engineer who swims in their lane and they only care about engineering, I wouldn't be able to work with this person. Like I want people to, to really... Crossover, over, be, be specialists in their field, but then cross over to, to others as well. Um, and I experienced a different culture at Google where engineering tended to defer a lot to product managers. So they would just not do the thing until you get them, you know, the specs they need or some green lighting. And that often annoyed me <laughs> because I'm like, oh, you could have just either decided this yourself and maybe just showed to me like the final thing before starting to do it. Or like come up with options. Like I, I, I'm busy. I just don't, I don't have time to actually like answer every single small thing about the product. And some things you can just take the risk and do it. Uh, so it was a very different culture from, from Amazon, uh, where people were swimming in their lanes, which I was very surprised about because I always expected Google to be more, I don't know, ownership
0: driven, free for all. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I did feel like at Amazon, especially senior people, they didn't care about what role they were on. Mm-hmm right? Especially at like principal level, whether it's an engineer or manager, product manager, or a software development manager, they were not confined to their roles anymore. Everybody was just focused on like the product and the customer experience. And I, I, I really like that part of it. Yeah.
1: Uh, so you guys have written a post about this, um, comparing uh, the company culture at Google and Amazon, sorry, Ilya, uh, which went viral. And uh, so we actually really want to get into that a little bit later. But <laughs> before... um. I'm curious, do, do you see it as a skill set of being able to, right? It's the trade-off that you mentioned of, um, how much to explore sort of the areas that's not in your immediate expertise. And then the other part is like, Hey, you know, sometimes you just gotta just trust me and then, you know, do it. Is this like a skill that you were able to develop over time? And how do you go about doing that? A
2: hundred percent. It's a skill, right? Ilya and I personally have worked with people, um, who maybe like they went overboard in the amount of let's say collaboration that (laughs) they're looking for right (laughs) but it ends up in like weeks and weeks of discussions about the same thing you cannot come to the same page on it and at some point my personality type is like let's just think long term right like it's okay let's take this decision whatever it is there are almost no decisions in tech that you cannot reverse. And this is a principle in Amazon. I'm sure other places have called it to one way door, two way door kind of thing, right? Like you kind of evaluate a decision on is this a door you can walk back through it, right? And if it is, I like then that. I would, I'd say like, yeah, it's okay. Let's just go with what, what you're saying. It does definitely take a lot of work. And this is where I think as you work uh with various people you'll find that you gel with the working style of some you don't gel with some.
3: yeah as far as skill and can you develop this or not it's actually hard to say because i think each of us are a certain personality uh i, I don't want to say the word type but uh, we have certain traits right and um i think we often start to exhibit them from the childhood like some people would read a lot about different things, they would pick 20 different books on different subjects, whereas another person would pick 20 books on the same subject, and they would go very, very deep. And then when they grow up, maybe one becomes, uh, you know, product manager, and the other one becomes um, like a scientist or something, right, where they continue drilling into the same thing for like 20 years, do a PhD, become a professor or whatever, right? I don't know how much of that can be necessarily trained. So for example, if you're this kind of very deep kind of person, it wouldn't come naturally to just go broad. I mean, you can, and maybe you will find yourself that you are like happy doing that. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if it's, if, I don't know if you can force this. Uh, I feel like, uh, I think as I'm getting older, I'm almost 40 at this point. I'm coming to the realization that uh, you should not push the river, just go with the flow. And one of the books that I read in 2020, I think, because the pandemic just started, I remember walking around the South Lake Union listening to that book. It's called Range by David Epstein. Epstein. It's a book about generalists versus specialists, and uh, he talks there that the traditional mentality in the post-industrialized world is that you have to be a specialist. So they train you to like go into a spe- certain specialty and just drill, 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 drill until you become like the top expert in this field. Whereas people who who just can't do that, I don't have enough attention span to do this myself. Um, We feel inadequate because everybody around us tells us we should be doing a PhD in this thing if we want to succeed. But he makes a point that many of the high-profile specialists even, they've actually been going very broad and then converged on some subject. But also people, there are people who never converge on anything. And then that's also fine. They just need to find that application of their personality. And uh, maybe like an entrepreneurship thing or... A product manager role could be a good application for somebody who doesn't necessarily, who can't even focus on the same thing for a long time. So yeah, I felt like that book kind of legitimized me quite a bit. And also another book I read, it's called The ADHD Advantage. Uh, I don't know, I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, uh, but when I was reading the book, I'm like, I'm recognizing myself uh, 80% here. And that book also, it talks about not that you have to treat ADHD, take all those pills and all that stuff. He's like, all this is, all of this is nonsense. You just have to master your traits that come with ADHD and, uh, and ride that. And it also comes down to like being all over the place and finding the application for this all over the placidness I- I- in life, as Which, opposed to trying to shoehorn yourself into, right. uh, you know, a specific path.
1: Uh, but, but just I don't think that's easy to do, but I think if you are able to do that, I think it could be very powerful. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like maybe it's a spectrum, right? So maybe there are like specialists who can't really go general because it's just against the nature. And there are also generalists for whom specialists, being a specialist is like, is like a torture, but probably most people are somewhere in between. Um, Well, it's probably, it's probably a normal, normal uh, distribution curve.
2: And I think I'd ultimately say about like coming back to this, can you learn to work with others, right? Essentially is start with respect and empathy, right? No matter who you are working with and try to see their viewpoint, like actually try to see why they're trying to say what they're trying to say, right? And there will be some times when you feel like, okay, I you give it enough effort and you feel like I don't want to work with this person long-term, right? It's not good for me uh, for whatever reason. Take a different path. It's okay. The world is full of people you can collaborate with.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's actually a very good point, right? Like You should never suffer. People you can't work with, um, just go find somewhere else. I think it can be a bit of a trap if you work in a company like Google, for example, or, or Meta or Amazon, where it's like once in a lifetime opportunity to be in these kind of companies, and then you really don't like it. And then what what do you do? And uh, for me, it was surprising because at Amazon, I rarely saw people who were happy or like semi happy living. People would just like stick with it. Uh, Whereas at Google, at least uh, during the pandemic, I saw so many people leave, like people who were successful, who were like on track for achieving great things. They're just like, nope, can't do it anymore. Um, And they would go to startups or to other companies.
0: Takes courage. Talking about that, like being at a big company, as you said, it's uh, many people think of it as a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like even there are some cases when people leave, there might be cases where they're just unhappy with what they're doing and they don't see other options so they don't try something else. But when you're on track to achieve something great, or you're making progress, you're getting good reviews, you're earning more money, it's like golden handcuffs of sorts. So both Mm. of you have been at big companies, but then you decided to do Metacast. And it takes courage. You're leaving a lot of money on the table. You're increasing unpredictability and losing predictability, which uh, not everyone can go through. So what did that decision-making process look like for, for the two of you when you decided to say, oh, you know what, we're going to leave our cushy big tech jobs, not that you guys don't work hard, but then go on this adventure uh, and start Medica. So like, how did you make that decision?
2: Ilya, you, you go first, yeah. You
0: were
3: first. Uh, you were first to quit, so let's... You... <laughs>
2: okay. So uh, I started in amazon and like i had a few jobs before and i left amazon did some startups and all that so i always had like an entrepreneurial like itch in me that i want to work for myself and things and thankfully for most of my time at amazon i was on very small teams very very independent teams um see amazon is a huge company right there's probably like 10000 teams if not more and I can't homogenize the experience, generalize it by saying it's always like that. But the teams that I wear on, especially the team that Ilya and I kind of grew from two people to about, I don't know, about 60 people today, I think, um, by the time I had left, very independent team, right? And as I grew from like SDE 1 to 2 to 3 and then principal engineer, luckily I always had projects like that where I could take part in the product building and the customer experience, Right and influence it, and I loved that. At the same time as being hands-on, at some point after getting to the principal level, I was still getting to do all of those the things that I said first, like collaborate and influence even more than before. But the hands-on part, like, just went away from me. I was not able to make time for it, and I actually consider it as one of my failures: is going for that promotion and getting it, and Maybe we'll talk about it later on. You had a question about like most impactful failure and I, that I, I'm, I'm not lying. That is, I consider as my Wait, most no, 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 impactful t-
1: failure. T- yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah.
2: I mean, so, this may sound like fake or too privileged to some folks. Like I was a principal engineer at a big tech company in a space like AWS. And with the kind of influence to shape the customer experience for all, like basically AWS customers, right? Which is a huge, that's amazing. But I think not being able to be hands on and do the things that I love doing, that basically took the passion out of the job for me slow. And at some point I figured out that. I don't think there is a path for me here, even if I like switch to a different team. And not to say again, Amazon is a huge company, so I'm sure there are places where I could have fit in as a principal engineer and been like that. But uh, I just didn't have enough of the passion left. And at the same time, I think building things, that, that's what excites me, right? Um, financially, you asked about that. I'm very conservative. Uh, Ilya is like an insane risk taker (laughs) in that space. So I actually deliberated for like three, four months to financial advisors to figure out like, Hey, if I didn't work or didn't earn anything for the next two, three years for our family, uh, my wife is a software development manager and was an engineer at Microsoft. Now she's at a smaller company as a manager what's our like ultimate financial outlook right like how, how does it change uh, if I keep working on this Amazon job for let's say another 10 years 15 years versus I take two three years and uh, take a break and if nothing comes out of it then I try to get back into maybe a smaller company maybe less money I, I build some scenarios like that and surprisingly, uh, surprisingly the difference came down to like less than 10 percent net income for the two of us by the time we we're like 75 or 80 and that kind of told me that okay there's like just no way i should not take a risk right now and i decided to take um ilia can tell you his more insane kind of like calculation or lack
3: of calculation <laughs> <laughs> think <to> himself <laughs>
0: This is like two way doors again, right like you you can always come yeah, back exactly
3: right? exactly yes, and that's that's an interesting actually analogy here because as I'm reflecting on my career, I spent eight years at a big company called d h l express logistics company. it's more a traditional business, it used to be very entrepreneurial in the seventies and sixties when it started, but then it became just like any other big traditional company, and I always had this thing like I'm I'm lucky because they let me travel a lot because I moved countries and all that but then I remember applying to to Google in 2010 I think in Singapore Google and Microsoft and some other companies that were in in the area and no one even responded to me and and I'm like I'm not good enough right so so there was this thing like like I have to get in there and I remember riding with the with a colleague on, on the metro train and I told him like if Google gave me any job right now like I would just take it Kind of reflecting on that Sheryl Sandberg's quote about riding a rocket ship, you don't ask what city you ride on. But then I did my MBA, I, I got to Amazon, I'm like, okay, finally I got it. I made it, right? So I made it, I'm at Amazon, one of the big tech companies, but then I'm like, but what if I just got lucky, lucky right? So, yeah. so, <laughs> so there was more always More
2: validation, this, yes.
3: Yeah. So always this kind of, yeah, another question, because there is not enough validation and I really wanted to work at Google. Google for me was like the it epitomized kind of success in corporate world. But I did want to finish the the project that Arnab and I started with other folks at Amazon. So I didn't interview. But when we were launched and I felt like we were done, our team grew a lot. I also started to feel like I just don't like doing what I'm doing. And very similar to Arnab, I, I worked my ass off to get promoted to principal product manager only to be disappointed uh, when I, when I got the promo, I mean, the money was good. Uh, I I can't deny that. I mean, there was a significant bump in in income and also the status, uh, it felt good, but I remember sitting in a room with, um, we had like an offsite in Seattle with a bunch of high level people. I think it was all like L7 plus I was, uh, the L7 that got to L7 in like last two months. Everybody else was in these roles for much longer. And I just couldn't keep my eyes open. I was just I was literally falling asleep. (laughs) It was like like the only other setting I experienced this before was in lectures, like some very, very boring lectures about probability or something. That I just couldn't pay attention. So I just couldn't pay attention for two days. And then another principal engineer in, in our org, he came to me and he's like, dude, like you you just can't do that. Like you have to like become a principal. And for me it was like, yeah, this is the beginning of the end. I just I don't, I don't like the role I'm in right now. So, Wait, why? Uh, um, why did, did that, that make mean? you
1: fall asleep? Like, what?
3: So here's the thing. Our organization was responsible for the entire user experience at AWS. Not necessarily building the UX, but we were managing all of the, well, owning and building all of the platforms and component library and kind of all the chevrons in the AWS console. So basically, AWS is structured the way that, let's say EC2 builds their own interface, Mm. but all of the components of libraries, all of the metrics, uh, all of the the, proxy servers, all of that stuff is done by by that centralized uh, organization that provides the platform. We were lucky to start our own thing called AWS Chatbot, which was a Slack integration, which is very different from everything everything else in the org. I think the only reason why it was part of that org is because uh, we were part of that org. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think we, we, uh, retrofitted that, uh, vision <laughs> later on. I think the reason was because we were part of this org because it was more of a DevOps product than like user experience product. So I was working on this small little thing on the fringe of the org. And then I was brought into the bigger org and I didn't like it. I'm like, I just don't care about all of these metrics that teams populate. I don't care about all these, you know, proxy servers. I don't care about component library. I just want to do my thing and go very deep in it. That's why I think I could have changed this if I moved to another org at Amazon, Uh that the entire org would be working on something kind of more cohesive and like not being on the fringe. Um But yeah, then I decided to just, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Google and... But then what I realized at Google is that it's the same thing. It's not different from Amazon. Actually, I didn't enjoy much working at Google, to be honest. Like, I realized it's... Like, I was disappointed. Um, maybe part of that was because it was during the pandemic. And we were all remote, and Google is not a remote culture. And um, I saw some of those things that I didn't like. And the post that went viral talks about uh, those things. Google is too cavalier, I think, uh, about shipping things before they're ready. And yeah, so eventually I'm like, there is no point moving to another company, because another company will be exactly the same. So I had this crisis. I'm like, Google is the pinnacle of the corporate world. It's not working out. And what do I do? And then Arnab reached out, and then we started talking about this. But then I was—I had so much fear about leaving the job and not having the income. And, you know, as Tim Nicholas Taleb says, uh, "monthly paycheck is the most addictive <laughs> drug." I think that's what he <laughs> says. Uh, uh, yeah. So I definitely experienced that golden handcuffs, right, with two keys and all that. But yeah, but then eventually I went on a spiritual journey, and uh, I came back from retreat, and I'm like, "Screw it! I just can't do it anymore." And then it became a matter of planning. Mm. And then I did another spiritual retreat, and after that, it was like. I was done. Uh, I I realized I have to do what I have to do.
2: Um, I think it's very important to realize whatever shape or size of company you are, is like, what do you like doing? How much of that you're getting to do? And especially at Big Tech, I think we're always chasing like the next promotion and all that. I thought I did enough homework before going for the principal engineer promotion. Like, basically, my manager came to me and said, hey, you're doing so many things. I think we should try to get you to principal. And then I said, first, I took a pause, said, nope, let me think about it. I talked to a lot of, like, my mentors, principal engineers, kind of figured out what their day is, and then decided, yeah, I think I'll enjoy that role, right? And I went for it. Took a couple of attempts, and but eventually I got promoted to, like, the principal engineer level. I think what I realize after that is what energizes me is when I'm talking to like other people who are at the trenches, even if I'm guiding them, helping them design something, I like talking to them way more than sitting in like decision making things about what date we're going to launch something or not launch and coming up with like three different ways of making that date happen. I want to make quick decisions on those things. What I saw myself more and more get involved is just those, like, what are the three options for us? Figure out what date we can meet, right? And some of the engineering manager, but this is what I said in Amazon, is engineering manager, product, principal engineer, everybody kind of morphs into the same role at that high senior level, right? And I found myself more and more in that and talking more and more to, like, leadership. And that did not energize me enough, strangely. Some people would probably love that job, right? But I think the takeaway is you have to figure out what you like doing before you start chasing like the next level and the next level and next level, because you get enough money at pretty much any seniorish level at these big tech companies that financial, this thing is not the only motivator. Anymore.
3: Unless you up your lifestyle.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: by, it, buy a four million house in in Queen Anne in Seattle, yeah, and then you can't quit your director job anymore. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was uh, Ilya's subtle sort of stab at uh, Rano, who has uh, recently <laughs> bought a house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, it's not four million. <laughs> uh, I have a huge ass mortgage which I need to pay off. But yes, I don't think that's going on 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 the record. By the way. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing the editing for this episode, <laughs> so... so uh, but just to second
3: record straight, it was not a stab at your house buying Oh, no, I, know, like, I, I, know, mean, I know, I know, I know. I, I have a huge mortgage myself, so... Yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm prepared to lose the house, so that's...
2: That's, that's the yeah. risk-taking that I was talking about, right? I don't want to touch my investments in the next... However many years it takes to make this successful, right? And I, I feel like Ilya, me, and Jenny, we love working with each other. And I feel like if we... We need to execute quickly, uh, figure out what works. And when we do that, we're going to start making money. But I am also like, like I said, financially very risk averse. I don't want to touch the investments or the long-term future of it. Whereas Ilya, on the other hand, Ilya, feel free to like ask them to edit this out. But he's like, you know what? Worst case is we'll sell our house. I'll change my school, kids' schools from like this awesome school they go to and put them in like <laughs> something else. That's not a big deal. <laughs> I don't, not, oh, yeah, maybe like worst
3: case, I'll move back to my parents in Russia. So, I mean, this is like the absolute worst case scenario, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, Like for me, like going back to a corporation and suffering that misery. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying everybody who works in corporation suffers this, but like for me personally, uh, like when I came back from that first retreat that I mentioned, it was October last year. The first meeting I was in, I saw those, whatever, eight faces in squares in Google Meet. I turned off my video and I cried. I, it was, it was just so much emotion was coming out. Uh, like I literally, I just couldn't stop sobbing because I'm like, this is not my life. Like, but this kind of is kind of my life. Uh, so something is not connected here. Something is definitely wrong. It was a very, very rough integration when I came back mm. and that it was at that point when I'm like, house, schools, all that? It just doesn't matter to me
0: uh, as much as my own sanity and happiness. Getting that clarity is not very common. actually, can you can you touch on that spiritual retreat is, if you don't want to share that's completely okay, but is it if you wouldn't mind, can you share what that was?
3: Yeah, so if you're really interested you can uh, look up the Netflix show called Unwell and on one of the episodes there is this person called Sasha Cobra. And uh or you can just search Sasha Cobra in YouTube. Uh, I think the video is called How to be a human. It's like a 3 or 3 to 5 minute video about her retreats. She doesn't do them anymore though. I was at the very last one that she did. And it's just a lot of energy work. It's based on kind of tantra. Uh but there is also very deep discussions and all that for 10 days you're with a group of i think about 50 people or so and you do a lot of uh practices geared towards getting the emotion out of your body so uh some very interesting experience like you would lie down with a group of people right in that uh it's called a shala it's like a, mm. it's, it's like it's like a yoga place yeah, in yeah. mexico uh, and and then uh, you all breathe with a certain pattern and then at some point, people start crying, they start shaking, they start laughing, and then it causes a chain reaction. And then you have like 50 people making all sorts of different sounds, uh, like shouting, and it's it, it all looks like a mental house, but you come out of it relaxed, relaxed and happy and like full of life. And uh, for me, it was the first experience like this in my life. And I'm like, oh my God, like you really can't feel like this on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I, w- I want my entire life to feel like like this, like feel like bliss, right? And uh, yeah, it, it it is almost orthogonal to uh, to that meeting that I had <laughs> the first day after I arrived.
0: Oh, uh, thanks you for you sharing
3: are,
2: that, Ilya. Tell us, Ilya, tell us about the Peru, the Ayahuasca retreat. Also,
1: I was gonna ask, oh. was Ayahuasca <laughs> involved?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was the first one. The Sasha Cobra retreat uh, effects they wore off after maybe a couple of months. Uh, because you have to keep practicing this in order to maintain that state. And, uh, you know, as I slid back into kids and work and all that, uh, I started to feel these kind of panic attacks again, uh, which I had about leaving my job. And then I met a lot of people who did ayahuasca in that retreat. So one of them recommended me a place. I went to Peru in February. The place is like booked like a year in advance. And there was one place uh, out of wait lists like a month, uh, uh, like it was in January and uh, that place was available in February. I'm like, just screw it, I'll just go there. And I didn't know what to expect. I just booked it and just went there and uh, that basically shook my whole life. It turned everything upside down and I came back um sort of fearless. And that's when I think the first week I talked to my manager. I first wanted to take like an extended break to figure things out, but they actually denied it. And when they said, no, you can't, I'm like, Okay, <laughs> so that's I'll just true. I'll just sti- I'll just stick around a little longer. um I mean, I didn't tell this I but mean, it was
2: fair to them, yeah. to be fair to them, I think they had just lost the only other product manager in that space, and mm. they needed somebody for technical yeah. reasons yeah, yeah.
3: right Th- that, that, that's true, but it was also like very i guess uh not like how you would see other people treated, so for whatever reason, right, um I decided okay, so I'm just gonna leave. But I gave myself a few more months uh and then I finally left. So I, I went to ayahuasca in February and I left in uh, end of May. Um well yeah. Uh I, I don't necessarily want to go into the details of what happens at ayahuasca because it's a very sacred experience, but like it also it's something that you cannot explain in words. It's something that like only when you do it you will understand why people can't explain it. Because it's just something out of different I realm. think
2: Alex has a episode uh, where he interviews somebody about ayahuasca, right? Would you mm. recommend
3: oh, yes. That one? So that, so there's an episode with Paul Rosalie. Um, yes. I forgot the number of the episode. Uh, it's, a, it's a great episode. The whole episode is really great, but he also has a part on ayahuasca where he tells a story where he got lost in outer space. He was like flying there with planets. He was very cold and, uh, he felt like that was it. Uh, that is what the reality and life really is. So he almost like got torn out of the matrix Mm. and put in there in that outer space. And then he said, I came back and I saw my hands and I started crying. (laughs) So (laughs) because like, I realized actually that was all not real. That That is what is real. I had something similar there. So it's like you get, but much darker than what he had. So you just get lost in this. You feel like you break the barrier of the matrix and you cannot tell anymore what is reality, what is not. But when you come back, uh, just things start to change. It's it's it's, it's incredible. Mm. And just to I- for the record, ayahuasca is illegal in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and most of the world, uh, except for Peru and a few other places in South America,
2: where it's like traditionally they've been using it for a long
0: yeah, for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's guided and, to be and taken and under like uh, some observation and practice practice with someone who actually understands the effects of it and how to monitor it.
3: Well, yeah, the, the way it works in the traditional, uh, tra- so I was doing this with the Shipibo shaman. So there was a group of eight and the shaman actually sings the song, uh, for many hours. And then the song guides the experience. And also there are multiple people there, uh, locals who make sure that you don't run into the jungle in the middle of the night because once, once you step out of that protected place into the jungle, well, you are done <laughs> because jungle will just consume you. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. This is the so, Amazon,
2: like rainforest. You're talking about like deep inside it's, it, it, it. It's deep inside Amazon rainforest. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Like there's no. But I, there, I so. don't
2: remember vividly that you came back from that one in February and you immediately. I think you said, okay, I, I need like two three days to like reacclimatize to life, right? But after that, immediately when we have the next chat, you said, okay, I think I'm like
3: leaving, uh, and I, I just need to figure out wh- how and when. Yeah, my mental state was come what may I, with the path I am on cannot continue. It's not my path. And uh, that was this moment of clarity um, that kind of, I, I don't know if I, if I would summon enough courage to quit my job if I didn't do that.
1: Mm. One of my questions was uh, how to get a co-founder. I didn't expect the answer was to uh, send them on a plane <laughs> to Peru and do a uh, Alaska <laughs> experience. Um so on the flip <laughs> side of that, Arnold, has he convinced you to do it too?
0: Um,
2: this is gonna be a tricky <laughs> thing to answer because he has right.
0: Based on what he's saying, he's almost convinced me right now. So
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And like I do want to go at some point, but Here's what I'll say. The kind of euphoric meditative high, right? I'm not talking about the recreational high, the meditative high that he's talking about where you get clarity. Maybe not to that same extent, but I get through some different avenues, right? Uh, One of them is when I'm out in the middle of nowhere hiking and there's like no connection to cities or cell networks and anything else, I get a lot of clarity. The other thing is I do play a lot of sports. And through that, there's some sort of meditative experience for me where I just get lost in the moment, right? Like there's nothing else in the world. Focus on this green fuzzy ball right now. Return it, right? And after that, I get this kind of like amazing relaxed uh, vibe, Mm -hmm. right? No matter what happened in the sport, I'm, I'm not very good at it, but I love playing it. And I come out of with this kind of like space for the next half an hour. I can I get a moment of like clarity. So sometimes after playing tennis for like two three hours, I take like half an hour to come back to my house, even though it's like seven minutes.
0: I, I know exactly
2: Just what you think mean about things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, at some point I should do it, um, but I also tried very early on when I was like early twenties. I tried some sort of like breathing. And the thing that you're talking about, like everybody breathes together. Now, maybe it wasn't as effectively performed or something, but I did see everybody around me exhibiting high, laughing, or crying their eyes out, right? And I just could not associate myself in there. Like I didn't feel anything. I was just observing these people. Maybe I don't know how to do it uh, well or maybe the instructor did not like figure out how to get that into me.
1: Um, I want my refund. <laughs> <laughs> my re- um, my reservation yeah. would be like, I feel like there's some kind of balance to all of this such that I'm worried honestly that if I experience such like an intense euphoria, like I'll be really depressed like afterwards in terms of like, oh man, like oh. this is like the shit like every day that's so... I think that might, that's honestly my biggest reservation of like experiencing something that extreme, but, um, maybe things, you know, change in a few years. (laughs) Come along.
2: You're, you're not wrong, right? I mean, that is definitely a possible outcome. And Ilya told me the same thing that like you can't control what you're going to feel in these spaces, right? You may come out with a lot of darkness and negativity, but ultimately I think you have to figure out how to use that energy to Basically, figure out what to do next. Yeah,
3: maybe I'll just I'll just close uh, this topic with saying that uh, so ayahuasca in particular is, uh, is it's very different from like smoking weed or even even breathing, because they actually call it. I think the shaman called it like the tool of God. So it's almost like he opens like a portal, uh, and ayahuasca is this kind of channel that helps God sort of bring its hand and sort of cure you. Whereas, like, in Western traditions, it will be, be the God, right? In uh, that local tradition, they are talking about the spirits of the plants. Uh, so, but we all, essentially, what I realized there is we all talk about the same thing. We just use different analogies uh, for the same, this kind of higher consciousness, right? So, and ayahuasca, under supervision of uh, a kind of light, good shaman, is inherently good for you. It cures you. Like, we had a guy who uh, had asthma. I was recently talking to him. It's been almost a year at this point. He doesn't have asthma anymore like i had some um physical ailments that were gone after this so it actually it actually changes your body it also changes your psyche and this is where it could be really um um hard to to do because it will show you things in those visions uh that will feel like, like reality that will change you forever uh in the long run you will realize they changed you for the better But in the short run, you feel so disoriented. It is just, uh, it's incredibly disorienting. somebody compared this as like being hit by a bus, uh, and then like, how do you put yourself back together? And I would not recommend ayahuasca to anyone who has not done psychotherapy before. People who struggled the most there in my group, they were just like, Oh, I'll just go do it. Right. YOLO swag. And then they're not ready to see the visions of their childhood trauma. They're not ready to live through that experience over and over and over every single night, right? You get transported into the age maybe where you were one or three years old and uh, you had some experience with your parents and you get to relive that there. And it feels real. It feels very intense. So if you've done psychotherapy before, you would have gone through some of that already. It, it's just the level of, of intensity is different. But if you've not done anything like that before and you're faced with this, basically you're faced with your worst dark sides there. That's not going to go well for you. Well, in the long run, you'll be fine. But in the moment, it is extremely painful. Uh, so that's why I'm like, if you want to do ayahuasca, do at least a year of psychotherapy, then
1: go there.
2: <laughs> you didn't tell me this before, though.
1: That, that makes huh? a lot of sense. know <laughs> it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wait
2: a minute, yeah. yeah, he didn't tell me this
3: before. So. No, no, I, I've been, I've been, in, I've been in therapy since age 30, so I'm almost, <laughs> almost 40 now. So it's been for 10 years. It's it's another thing about, uh, you know, achievements, right? I moved to the U.S., I was like, I'll go to this Ivy League MBA program that will make me feel good, it will change my life because I'm done with this DHL thing. And I come in, and a few months in, I feel depressed again. I'm like, I expected this different environment will change me. And that's when I realized that it's not about the environment, it's about what you have inside, and that's when uh, I, I hit the bottom. And that's when I started doing therapy because I'm like, okay, so this is just <laughs> not working. <laughs> Life is not working. Uh, I'm not doing something right here.
1: That's impressive that you're like, oh, let me try therapy because I think a lot of people don't do that. They're just kind of, you know, try to pretend and then put on a mask and then go on with their lives. So since my wife doesn't listen to podcasts in English, I can say this here. <laughs> so, uh,
3: <laughs> she started. She started doing therapy first, and then uh, she said like. After a few sessions, she said that I'm feeling like I'm getting off that path and it's making me, you know, kind of feel differently and all that. If you don't do it, you will fall behind and the gap between us will widen. And I don't know if we actually will be able to be together after, after that. And I went to therapy out of fear, but also out of that deep depression I was in. So like I wasn't against it, but that fear was, was the final, you know, kick in the bus that <laughs> made me do it.
1: That's really cool. That's and for the record,
3: my wife and I, we're you know, we together. We have two beautiful children. So it's all,
0: I made the right decision.
1: She sounds very wise based on what you just said. Um, oh, yeah. She's
0: the wiser in our family. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think like in a in, in lot of this, I think finding the right therapist is also a key. Uh, like I, I yes. know our friends have tried this. They've tried a few different ones. Uh, it just doesn't work out until you find the right person. So th- th- there is some aspect of luck to an extent and also the right amount of search that you do. I was born in Russia. I'm American now,
3: (laughs) as of a few months ago. (laughs) So my first language will always be Russian. So I never even considered going to an English-speaking therapist here in the U.S. I found someone in my hometown who a friend of my wife was going to, and that's how we tried it. And also, I never tried working with men. I only worked with women. For some reason, it just feels more natural to me to share something to a woman than to, to a man. Whereas a friend of mine, he also works with a Russian-speaking therapist, uh, also based over in Russia, but he is based here in Florida. But he can't work with the woman; he only works uh, with men. So it's just this trial and error. So I've had three therapists. My third one is I've had her for maybe six or seven years at this point, and I don't intend to change her anytime soon. But the first two, you know, after a while, you just feel like it's not quite working out, and I think the risk there is that you just stop doing this, and then you can, we're all, you know, fall back to like old habits. So it's important to actually... It's like a job, right? You'll end up in you offer before uh, before quitting the job.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So I, I'll kind of echo what Ilya said and what, Ronak, you're saying, finding the right therapist, right? Because I've done some where I felt like I'm not getting anything out of it. But I'll give you one great positive experience is uh, when we moved to Canada, uh, my daughter, like, we were figuring out can we move or not? Because she had already started making deep friendships mm-hmm. and all that. Right? And... After we moved, she did struggle quite a lot, right? Like fitting in to like school and everything. And we tried a therapist and I think the kind of tools and framework that she gave us, but also to this young child about like how to think about your emotions, right? Like how do you categorize them? Like just, just like you're feeling frustrated. What, well, what does that mean? Right. And giving these kind of tools and all that. That I would have never known to tell her myself.
0: Right. Yeah,
2: There is a bit of stigma still. I think it's oh, yeah. kind of gone in today's world, but there is still some stigma. That, like, why are, you, why are you going to therapy and all that? But I think it's totally, like, it's the right thing. To I think especially be, like, among men. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, the mm-hmm. question of why do you need it? You seem normal. You don't need it. And it's something like, wrong? You're strong. You can do it yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, guys, honestly... Uh, we really appreciate you being so candid and it's not easy to talk about. I mean, we are all, all adults and people listening to this podcast are adults too. And many people know this is normal and okay, but it's it's still not easy to talk about.
3: I think this needs to be normalized more. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so I, I've been podcasting in, uh, in, in Russian quite a bit and I've been talking about these topics and, and I was surprised how many people would write back to me. Yeah. And uh, some, some of them had questions because they would be like, Oh, I was thinking about this for like years, but, uh, now you can convince me, right? Uh, or some people will just be like, oh, that's exactly what I want to hear. And it just validates their experiences. Because I feel like stuff that is stigmatized, um, people still have to live with it. And it's like, I don't know, we should talk more about that. So, so sure. I want to go back to the founder's uh, topic, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I was I was listening to a podcast yesterday um, and the guy said a very interesting thing. The, the the interviewer asked him about finding co-founders. And he said that he read a study, which I can't validate. I don't know what study it was. He said the worst, uh, performance is when you have one founder. Then the second worst is when you have four founders. (laughs) Then the, then the third worst is, uh, three founders. And then the best, the best is, um, uh, when you have two co-founders. And he said a very interesting thing. He said, like, the best co-founders are those who have sort of different. Um, I'm trying to translate now because it wasn't what was not in English. Um, but like you have your own kind of weak areas, so like like things that you freak out about. And then he said like they, these should be orthogonal mm-hmm. for these people, complementary strengths.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> it's not just strengths, but also but, like but the, also weaknesses, the right? weaknesses,
3: Yeah, yes. strengths are easy easy to reason about, right? Yeah. Weaknesses are harder to reason about. If for example I start to freak out, and then Arnab is this kind of place of Stability for me, that's good. Or if he's uncertain and he comes to me and I'm like, yeah, dude, it's just all fine, right? (laughs) So we could defer to each other in these uh, areas. Whereas if we both freak out about the same thing, it's very hard.
2: Right, I think especially early on in a startup, you don't have the support environment of anybody else other than your co (laughs) right. Like in a job, There are certain limits to what could go wrong, right? And you're kind of shielded and protected from everything else outside of it. There's, like, leadership and management. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's kind of why you want to break the chains and get out of it, because you want to make those mistakes. uh, But also, like, in a startup, you don't have that kind of support structure. Yeah. So, like, I I do think it's really important to find that person where you could lean on. Of course,
1: Um, would, would a hot take be that, and I think this applies to uh, general relationships with people and also romantic relationships, right? Where I think if you focus on the strength, sure, there's a lot to admire, but it's sort of your weaknesses and having someone to accept and then to be a safe place for you, right? When you do experience those that I think necessarily like fosters like trust and which then is, I mean, that's the key to building fostering relationships, right? So that, that makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, I think the thing is, whereas it's like friendship or a romantic relationship or a co-founder, when you meet somebody, uh, you're almost always going to focus on the positives. Both of you, right? Or all of you, however many you are. It's hard to be public or open about like your shortcomings. And sometimes it's even, you don't even know what your shortcomings are, (laughs) right? So it's hard to talk about it. So Pretty much the only way to figure that out is to work with somebody for a while or be with somebody for a while. Not commit too early, but also kind of figure out like, okay, I think this works together. Yeah. And
1: have you guys have that explicit conversation about, hey, like, this is like, these are my pet peeves. This is like, you know, (laughs) these are the situations I hate the most. Like, have you guys talked about that?
3: I don't think so. Not, not, not really. Not, not, uh-huh. It wasn't framed this way. I mean, maybe these things came up in different discussions, yeah. but it was never framed this way. So but, yeah,
2: but, but now, you now that you and I have worked together for many years, I think the biggest thing that I get confidence is, like I said, inside AWS, right? We kind of like got the opportunity to start a startup without having to think about the funding part of it as mm-hmm. much. We did have to think about the funding part, but not as much as we have to. Literally, it was like the two of us with help from a principal engineer at that time. And then we grew to like one more person Then we, a few months later, one more person and slowly trickled until we started seeing success. And then we got the funding to like, okay, go big, right? But I think in that time frame, we did have our struggles. We worked with some people that, did not work out for the team uh, or we didn't like working with each other. And I think in there, we had a lot of tough conversation, Ilya and me. Um, and that kind of gives me the confidence that I can pretty much go to any uh, kind of de- depths of despair. <laughs> and and, um, yeah, I, like for a while, he was my manager too, right? We didn't have a software development manager. He was my manager. And we did have like deep discussions about like I I went and told him,
3: again like, I remember I, that discussion. I, it's been enough enough. Years I remember so what I was... happened. You told me that yeah, I'm too lenient, <laughs> 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 so, and then that I was said, a big I lesson can't for me. work
1: with this person, right?
3: Yeah. Well, no, actually, it was a different conversation, but it, I remember that one as well. Yeah.
1: Wait, wait, tell tell so, us more about that. Uh, the, the being too lenient.
3: I, I don't want to go too much into the details, but there was uh, some performance issues on the team. I see, and. Um, I think I was not taking decisive action fast enough because it's not in my nature. It's also one of the things like in a bigger company you eventually have to manage people if you want to like
0: also very hard right? thing to do.
3: Yes, and uh, I don't think it comes to me naturally. I mean I can be I can be pretty good at leading people, but when it comes to like managing people inside of a corporation where you have processes and all that, the promotions and undergraded attrition targets and all that shit, you know, I did not like that job and yeah and so i guess uh, i should have let somebody go um but i didn't and uh Arnab wasn't happy about that because it was affecting the morale of the
0: entire team um yeah so talking about like company building you you both came from big companies and now you're running the startup uh, what aspects are you consciously keeping and aspects that you're consciously choosing to not keep i think we
3: um, making it develop organically so we just try to not do any extra stuff we don't have to do. Mm. But then there are some, like process, for example. Like we never liked much process, but we also recognize that some process is important. Mm-hmm. So for example, we have a Kanban board with tasks. We have a priority rubric, P0, P1, P2 that we use. We did write a press release doc, a PRFQ doc. <laughs> uh, when we first started, it gave us a lot of clarity, but we didn't polish it. Too. So we do a lot of those things at like 80%. Mm. So uh, Amazon would look at this and say it was not good enough to get principle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh for us, we just borrow enough process to make us make ourselves more mm. effective. So for example, code reviews. We don't do code reviews. Well now we've started now that we have one more person, but uh, when it was just two of us, we uh I mean, he would review my code, but uh, I wouldn't review Arnab's code because he would just push you know, merge straight. Push to main.
0: Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, push to main.
3: Actually, CI C D is a good example, right? We have CI C D for our mobile app. Because it saves us a ton of effort by not having to build it locally, like upload all those files, babysit them. It's a lot of work, right? So we've invested Repeat a few every days. Day. Yeah, Yeah, we use a service called TramLine. Uh, there's an episode that's coming out on our podcast with the founders of TramLine. Uh, it's Arnab's uh, friends from the past. Great tool, uh, saves us a lot of time. Totally worth all the money we pay and all the investment of time we put into it. But then the Firebase, like we have the backend on Firebase. Oh, well, <laughs> Arnab, tell us how you deployed the Firebase. <laughs> If you're not ashamed uh, to do this publicly. <laughs>
0: well, no, that? I didn't
2: I didn't get, like, talk about what?
3: Firebase, how do we deploy Firebase functions?
2: Oh, we just go to our code uh, <laughs> terminal and say, deploy these functions. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> got the <a> joke. Yes. <laughs> Jenny joined us last week, and she comes from Amazon after, like, mm-hmm. years and years. Uh, there is a senior engineer. And I told her, like, okay, we don't have integration tests. We don't have, <laughs> like, our backend doesn't have CI, CD. Yep. You would probably find it surprising because I was, I don't want to say the word zealot because I'm never a zealot about anything, but this was one of my main things at Amazon is like, just set this up, have the integration test, and then you don't have to think about mm-hmm. this ever again going wrong, right? And this time I'm taking a completely different path. Um, but that's okay. That's that's what like we need to validate the idea mm-hmm. first before yeah. we take the time to do all these things. Yep. Yeah.
3: Yeah, one thing um, I think we learned. I have peak productivity at certain hours, like at work. You have a nine a.m. You have to be there, and you know, smile it at nine a.m. Especially as a product manager, you have to talk yeah. a lot, right? So it, it can be really rough for somebody who is not a morning person. So after I left my job and started doing this, I started to force myself to start to work like at seven, at eight, at nine. Be sort of more productive in the morning because every book you pick, <laughs> say you, 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 you pick productivity time is in the morning. Well, so I start to forgive myself for being unproductive in the morning. In the morning, I can do things like fill fill the passport forms or whatever. Like go print something out. Maybe like until ten, I may not even do anything for work, and then I start doing, start getting to the groove, and then maybe around one p.m., two p.m. is when I reach my peak productivity, and then I would work until six, and have dinner, spend time with the children. Then I would start working again at around 9 p.m., 9, 9.30. And that feels good. Uh, So my day is kind of fractured, but I'm always at my peak productivity for deep work, as opposed to being at a big company. They don't care when your peak productivity is like everybody has to work at the same time, but it it was a habit that was hard to undo at first.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd add on one more thing, uh, Ronak. You asked like for the company, right? How different? What are the things mm-hmm. that we're One thing is we want. Not start for us is we want to build a calm environment, right? And this is important for Ilya, me, and Jenny, our first like engineer. She kind of joined us because of that. She's mm-hmm. a big believer in that too. Sometimes we have hard conversations about this because. We are trying to get to like a public like, release for the app. It is crazy sometimes. But I think that that is one of the goals is every single meeting that we add, and we only have like one or two meetings, I think, recurring. It's like this needs to be a conscious decision. The other thing is, like Ilya said, it is a hard transition, uh, but I'm finding myself that I'm really enjoying this like going in and out of the flow state, right? I no longer force myself or feel guilt if I have an unproductive, like completely unproductive. There are days like that, right? And you can't force yourself to be the same person every day. But then when I get into the zone, and this is happening maybe three, four times a week or so right now, uh, but I am completely like in, in the zone, churning out, awesome things and next day i'm like happy yeah it yeah. is a hard transition though uh, coming from like i think bigger team kind of environment where you have to be are working with so many people that you have to be kind of the same person every day otherwise it would be kind of weird for others in the team
0: yeah.
1: is this influencing how you guys are shaping to build a company so as like it grows as the team grows there's more people there's more meetings are you guys thinking about maybe having things more done in writing such that people do have more sort of these blocks to kind of dictate their own schedule? Have you, have you guys thought much about that?
2: Yeah, um, for sure. I think one of the things we also recently talked about in the newsletter, but just quickly talk about is um, we started using Slack now that we are three people, right? But one of the first things we did there is we named the channel async dev chatter
0: <laughs> good one good one <laughs>
2: <laughs> right it's like there's no expectation that anybody's going to reply to anything immediately um at the same time we did say the first few weeks both ilia and jenny are kind of like coming up to speed i'm going to be more available here but our aim is like not be addicted and actually this is i think One of the things about Slack is the user experience is so good that you get addicted to it. And I feel like it's a bad product because of that. It's a great product, but it's a bad product because it's a collaboration environment that gets you addicted.
0: (laughs) So we've been observing uh, both of you and the progress Metagas is making from the outside since we last spoke. Um, We've seen you posting pictures of our like you listening to the podcast on your app with your, I think, uh, the car screen picture that I think Arnab you posted. Uh, we see you talking to more and more popular guests like Jason Fried. And I think you had this conversation a couple of months back. So from, from the outside, we see you making a lot of progress uh, and we're rooting for your success too. I want to know what have been such milestones which have kind of been influencing the trajectory of your, uh, of your company uh, over, let's say, the last three to six months.
3: So we started the podcast preemptively to like build the audience and all that. Uh, we've made a couple of pivots on the podcast already because it has not been kind of picking up steam as much as we expected at in this initial, you know, in version of it. So thank you. Thank you guys for coming on our show when we were still, uh, like in, in the very early days. I really appreciate that at some point, like specifically for the podcast, when we got, I think when we, Got Brand, so we were really lucky with our first guest. Actually, similar to you, you guys had Helsinki Hightower. High Tower. We had Brand McCullough, who is a very prolific podcaster. Take Me Right Home, Internet History Podcast. And then you name drop. So, like with, with every subsequent episode, you name drop. They lo- they look at, uh, at the list. Okay, so Jason Fried is in there. Okay, so sounds legit. So and then they're more, much more likely to say yes. And then that's how you build that uh, roster. Um, uh, as far as the as far as the app goes, we are currently in closed beta. We, so I was, I was in Vancouver, uh, where Arnab is based for a couple of weeks in, in the summer and we worked our asses off. That's maybe when, what Arnab refers to as being intense. <laughs> uh, we really worked, worked our asses off, uh, to get the closed beta out. We wait-listed about, uh, allow listed, I should say about 15 people at this point, maybe 20. Um, and yeah, we will be adding more and more people and we hope to launch publicly, Um uh, November, maybe, uh, so no, we, we might have to do an in, in intense sprint to, to do that.
1: Out, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Classic product manager and engineer yeah. conversation right here. I love it. Staying on brand. <laughs> Very nice.
3: <laughs> yeah. In real time. But the thing is like, if you don't launch in, in November, it spills into December, then you have the holidays and it spills into January. You know how it goes, yeah. right? The yeah. big difference from the big companies is that money runs out. Yeah. Um, so that's a real challenge the downside is not limited it is an yeah. unlimited downside so time is money in our case because we didn't take any funding we are churning through our own savings uh, while doing this and so yeah it's 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 not fun and,
2: um, and and i think in terms of like big milestones you you called out like what what you can see from outside right internally i think when we received that first email from Actually, did we have them on our episode? No, we we never had them on our episodes, but we received an email, a long email, a very emotional email, and that was like, okay, even if there's like 50 people in the world listening to us, but they're feeling these things, okay, we're doing our job, right? And that's kind of one of the pivotal moments when we decided that I think people want to hear more about the journey. Uh, and we've kind of done enough about the podcasting, because there's only so many times you can talk about, like, what microphone or what <laughs> post-process <Yeah. laughs> and all that, and starts to get old. You get the same old, same old feeling. Yeah. Whereas the journey for every person and every human is so unique that, that that's been kind of amazing, and people love to hear about that. It forms, like, deep connection. In terms of the podcast itself, I think that's the pivot we made is, we kind of think about it as our community engagement channel right now, rather than a way for us to like get big, Mm -hmm. uh, like lots of popularity and all that, because we know that the people who are using our app and who believe in us and who trust us, they're listening to it and they're getting a lot out of that. And we get emotional, like, um, kind of fulfillment out of it. And in terms of the app, similar things, I think, like Ilya said, we've only allowed us that fifteen, twenty people, I think, max, uh, because there's still a lot of like basic podcast table stakes features we are yet, to, right? And forget about like integrating revenue and all that, and we have to do that too. But every person that we onboard, pretty much every person that we onboard, we have a UX review. This is something that we also got from like the big companies, right? Mm. And we go deep into try to understand why, how they use podcasts, not the apps, but why they use, why do they listen to podcasts and all that. And there's been so much learning from that. I think a few of them said like, okay, this is magical, even though there's like 15 things missing, it's buggy. This part I really love, right? And that's what I think gives me confidence that, we need to basically build all these other things that support the app, but it's on a good path.
3: Yeah, we can't talk much about the functionality just yet, but there is uh, a bunch of stuff that every podcast app has. Like you have to be able to play an audio, you have to be able to skip, you need to have-
2: uh, Like playlists, downloads, yeah. Yeah,
3: downloads. So all of that stuff, we kind of punted on. I mean, we but we really focused on the thing that makes our app magical. So that is the part where we hear from users that it does feel like magic. Uh, and that's what we wanted to validate, but now we have to build all of that plumbing that, uh, yeah. a podcast cannot be, kind of be without. Right. And, uh, yeah, and it's just a lot of work, uh, th- but now that we have one more engineer, we hopefully will get, uh, through that much faster by November. Uh, <laughs> hey, good. Like, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing, one thing
2: I want no, to, but the good uh, thing is, I- Ilya, Ilya is coding too now. Oh. So we have like yeah. three people coding
3: now. So yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, why can't they do it faster? I love mean, they're much more proficient than me. So they should do it faster. Yeah. So, but one thing, one thing I wanted to add is, um, one of the decisions we made is to make our app more, personal not as in personalized to you which also will be a part of that but personal as in you know like if you go to a walmart like every time you see a person behind the you know the counter it's different person you never remember them they never remember you but like if i go to my local coffee shop i know every single person who works there by name they know me by name they they start making me my drink before i even approach the before i even pay them they were just like, oh, usually I'm like, yes, and then by the time I pay, I already have my drink on the counter. So that's the kind of experience that we want in some way. So we, that podcast, that journey, um, we will also have release notes as a podcast. So we will have a lot of that personal touch to that, where people can hear our voices, can hear who is behind the app, hmm. uh, right in the in the app itself, as one of the kind of, I don't know, I guess emotional touch points. which you will never get from Spotify or Apple. Uh, Like, uh, there's a different... Let's say, assuming you get the same coffee at Starbucks and at the local coffee shop, uh, which one would you prefer to go to, right? Uh, I mean, I would always prefer to go to local to support the people I know, uh, support the people whose name I know and all that, and chit-chat with them, whereas to go to some random corporation, faceless, you know? One
2: example here is Ilya touched upon it, so I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit the getting started experience for apps is very important right like um we're trying to do something really unique and i think experiment we'll see if it succeeds or not when you start you install it the first time the getting started experience for our app is actually a podcast audio tour that ilia and i walk you through it in like two three minutes that's pretty cool and we haven't seen it anywhere. We'll see if it succeeds or not, but that's the kind of like emotion. We want people to get to know us immediately and connect with us. Oh. Yeah. yeah.
3: Like uh, one, uh, comparison I could also do here is let's say if you take Descript and Squadcast, the tools we are using, you know, for podcasting, they have people who, uh, t- you know, those videos, they are hosted by people who are hired to, um, mm-hmm. uh, to talk about yeah. the product, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But then there is uh, a podcast hosting service, transistor.fm, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and Justin Jackson, the, fa- the founder of the company, he does all his videos himself. Yeah. And, uh, they just, it just, I don't know it just makes me feel more connected, connected yeah. to, I know what you mean, to the product. Yeah. 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 For sure.
0: Well, we know we are, we're, we're at time at this point, a little <laughs> over. So guys, thanks so much for staying over. This has, this was an awesome chat for, um, I mean, wow. I speak for Guang too in this case. And hey, uh, Arnav's dog. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much. Uh, for... He's
2: actually part of our company. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Chief, dog, the chief, chief dog, dog officer. officer. Uh, nice.
0: So before before we bring this to a close, is there something else you would like to share with our listeners?
2: I would just say this, like, if you basically give us a chance, go, go look at our, we just have the landing page right now. So uh, if you want to be on the beta, tell us about it, uh, go sign up there.
3: Metacast.app. You forgot to say the (laughs) URL.
0: And
2: (laughs) Ilya does an amazing job uh, with the newsletter. And I I feel like I love reading it myself. We are hearing the same thing from other people too. Uh, See, if you like it, give it a try. And that would mean the world to us. Like basically three people uh, trying to do something. Yeah,
1: Amazing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you can find us at metacast.app. And uh, that's where you can put your email and get notified when the app comes out. But if you do want to get on the closed beta, you can just email us at team at metacast.app.
0: Awesome. We'll, we'll yeah. link these in the show notes and make sure people check you out. And we highly encourage people to do so too. And as, as I mentioned before, this has been awesome. We loved chatting with you when you were hosting us on the podcast. And this, this was a blast hosting so, you here too. Well, yes. And we we do hope this is one of the many conversations we'll have going forward, on and off the record. So thank you so much for your time, folks. This was super helpful. Or this thank was guys super guys so awesome.
2: <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it was an amazing chat.
3: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. it, it, it so uh, Guang, uh, you had what like eight topics? How many did you do
1: cover? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's uh. that's why it's very fitting that you know we're gonna slow trip to, into many conversations. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I checked the
3: three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we covered two more. I think that were not on the list. Yeah, that's how that's how we roll as well. It's Uh, uh, it's meant to be this way. That's cool. For sure. For sure. Awesome.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and learn more about us at softwaremisadventures.com. You can also write to us at hello at softwaremisadventures.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.